Um, let me get to what we're going to talk about today. We'll talk about today. We're going to finish up hearing God's voice. Um, I really, really appreciate uh, uh, Dino and his teaching last week. Great, great, wonderful teaching. Can we honor? We honor. I, and by now you know, there is so much. I was talking to a group the other day. There's so much that the body of Christ can learn. And as families, we can learn as it relates to honor. Honor. Bless each other. And don't, try not to just let it exist here. Take it home. Husbands, bless your wives. Wives, bless your husbands. Moms, bless your children. Dads, bless your children. Children, bless your parents. Bless. That's why we had the kids and we prayed over those spirits of rebellion and bitterness and anger that tries to jump on. Well, parents, brothers, sisters, uncles, aunts, create the climate there. It should be a culture of honor. We even got to a point in our family where we had to, you know, I told them one year, I said, look, I love that we mess with each other. I love that we joke, you know, and we're a laughing family. We love to laugh. But sometimes you can get to a point where um, the joke turns into um, shame and embarrassment. And everybody's laughing. Everybody's laughing. But the person who it's pointed towards, they may be ha, 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 he, he, but internally they may be going through it. And so honor has to happen at home, at home. And it's just housekeeping. It's just things that we clean up and we're always dusting. We have to dust all the time because stuff tries to get on us. That's why we have to renew our minds every day with the word of God. And then right after individually renewing ourselves with the word of God, boom, we go straight to taking care of our husbands and our wives and our children. And then Judea and Samaria and the uttermost. Okay, so but always first at home. Learn that at home. Practice it at home. That's why we take communion. That's why sometimes I send you home to take communion. Take communion at home. Because communion causes me to remember that Jesus died for my sins. And so I can't hold this thing against, you know, my son or, or my brother or my wife. You know, I, I, my sister or my neighbor. Communion at home, not here. This is good. And as it says in Corinthians, we need to wait for each other. And that's why we do communion. But please do communion at home. And it's... Keep you vertically straight. But remember, love God and then love people. That's real quiet. Y'all got that? That makes sense? Wave at me. Let me know you're awake. Okay, okay, cool. So um, we're going to um, we're going to finish up this, um, this series. And uh, some things I'll mention that I mentioned last week, that uh, Dino mentioned last week in terms of the, um, the access points to your heart. Um, I want to mention that everything flows from love. So no matter what you're hearing, even today, you're going to hear some hard stuff today. You're going to hear some hard stuff today. Not hard at you. But sometimes when we hear something, the enemy is always whispering. 
remember in Mark, the fourth chapter, if you get a chance, read, read all of the fourth chapter of Mark. Um, it starts off talking about a sower, a person who was planting seeds, and he went out and he sowed. And it fell on different types of soil. And um, the different types meant that um, there were different things that either would or wouldn't allow that soil to be good ground to where that seed would produce. And so um, the first part of it, though, when Jesus begins to describe it and, you know, the, the, um, give almost the interpretation or unpack the parable, um, parables can be mysteries to high truths, and it's for those who have a heart for it. And you find that in Isaiah chapter 6, when he ultimately, Isaiah got clean and pure, and he says, who will go for us? That's what the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit said. Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And he says, now go to the people and tell them this. Um, he says, you hear, but you don't understand. You see, but you don't really get it. Jesus quoted that same thing in Mark chapter 4 when the disciples came back and said, you were talking to us about this parable, but we don't get it. Um, he says, it's given to you to understand now the mysteries because you came back. Because you came back. And I want to encourage you in that, always go back. But then he said, um, and everybody would get it, um, but they have eyes and they don't see and they have ears and they don't hear um, um, they don't want it because their posture of their heart really is that they don't, they don't want to be forgiven. And if their eyes were open, they would see, they would get healed, they would get forgiven, but they don't, they don't really want it like that. Um, but he says it's been given to you to understand it because your heart is really for it. And so I would encourage you all that your heart be for it. But as he began to understand this um, and explain the parable so that they could understand, rather. Um, he says, whenever the word of God is sown, Satan comes immediately to snatch it. Right away, he tries to snatch it. And he uses that by, you know, twisting, twisting it so that it, by the time it gets to you, it comes off a particular way. That's why you got to be very careful. Jesus says later on in that fourth chapter of Mark, I really pray that you take some time and read Mark, the fourth chapter. And when you do, you know the rhythm. Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to me about this chapter that I'm reading or I have read? But Satan comes immediately to take the word. And as it relates to some of what I'm going to share today, he can twist it if you're not hearing right. Later on in that fourth chapter of Mark, Jesus says, take heed or be careful, or watch, pay attention to how you're hearing. Because whatever measure of attention you give to it, the Amplified Version says, whatever amount of thought and study you give to it in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Remember, when you're trying to hear God's voice, you fix your eyes on Jesus. You quiet yourself in his presence, and you tune in to him, and then he'll, he'll show you some things. And your, your responsibility then is to write it down, as it says in Habakkuk. Um, write that thing down. And then, for safety, go and show somebody. I think, I think God's saying this. Can you judge this for me? 
not somebody that's going to tower over you, but somebody's just really going to bless you. I know I'm saying a whole lot, you know, it would be good for you to go back for this teaching. Go back and, and listen. Listen to this again. Rewind it. Rewind it. Rewind it so that it can get in you. Not me, but the spirit of God that's trying to get you to understand and grow. And so when you hear some things today, make sure you understand this is Old Testament. There are some things that God was showing in the Old Testament. But do not walk away from this shamed with guilt, with fear, you know, running away from God. You know, realize we have a, a redeeming Savior. And so now we look back at the Old Testament, as the Apostle Paul says, as a schoolmaster to reveal Jesus. Jesus said, I love the law because it testifies of me. And he's the redeeming answer. And so don't get scared. Oh, man, what's pastor going to say? It's not like that. It's not like that. Because sometimes when we read Old Testament, I, I know the enemy. I, I've grown up in an environment um, that sometimes is religious um, in an approach to try to get to God, and sometimes you get it a little twisted. And so I told you a few weeks ago, sometimes what I got was a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of fear. Um, and it wasn't until I really, you know, started getting trained People in my life, like Eli with Samuel, it showed me how to hear God's voice. And then I started seeing him as a loving father and not just as a judge. All right? Look at the person next to you and say, God is a loving father. He is judge. Tell him. He is creator of all. And he is holy. But he's also a loving father. And so when I was... Um, when I was... Uh, you know, looking at what, uh, what uh, Dina was sharing, um, you know, from Matthew and from Mark, that everything flows from love. Um, the goal is that even though he says, I want you to do this, I want you to do this, look at this, pay attention to that, hear me like this, it flows from love. Now I can receive correction. Now I want to be corrected. Now I want to grow because he's my dad. He's my dad. You know, it wasn't until my mom died that I started seeing my dad as my dad because I saw, started seeing his tenderness. My dad was pretty hard, very disciplinarian. You know, man of God, preacher, I've told you for years, he's the one who led me to Jesus after a message he preached on a Sunday night, and I was 11 years old. Um, but all of that, from little guy all the way up. Um, but then when my mom died, we, were, we left the funeral. Uh, no, we had the funeral on Thursday night, and then Friday morning we had the burial. And we, we lived across the street from our church and so went to the house. But then they were going to have a repast about a block away. And so me and my dad were walking up the street. And, I mean, I'm a little guy. I didn't start getting taller until late teens. Little guy, he's a big guy, massive hands, you know. Even when he preaches, thunderous, you know. And um, so here we are now walking. Mom was just buried um, an hour and a half ago. And um, we were walking up the street. And we had to cross the street. And when we were crossing the street, he reached his hand out, and I saw him like I'd never seen him before because I never did hold my dad's hand. It, wasn't, it just wasn't like that. More so my mom, she was the caregiver. She was the, the nurturer. And all. My dad worked really hard and all that. But loving guy, but, you know, worked really hard. And so now we're about to go across the street, and he put his hand out. And I remember to this day looking up at him and thinking, Wow, he's, 
is doing this soft thing with me, this tender thing with me. And that started the journey of seeing my dad not as brr, but more like, well, you know. And, and so, and it helped me. That was one of the things that helped me in starting to get a healthy perspective of God. And so since our kids were little, that has now framed my thinking, and I've always wanted to now have that next generation. Remember, every generation should, you know, have more, um, should excel more, not, you know, for glory, but they should, be, they should be better. I want my kids to be better than me and learn more than what I learned. And my grandchildren are going to learn more than my children learn, you know, and it should get better and better as they go along. And so my, um, you know, since the guys were little, him and I have three sons, We've sought to help them to see God the Father um, as they look at mom and dad in a way that helps them to see him. They don't have to wait until they're 30 and, you know, and, and they are now. You know, my oldest son is 32, 28, I mean, 32, 29, and 25. Jordan will be 25 in a few weeks. And, and they, they see the Father God the right way. And so thank God for the level of growth and development that my dad had. Um, and then when I come, I learn from him what I can, what I get, things to, things not to, not in any shame or anything. Um, but the next level comes with me. And now Ryan, Andrew, and Jordan, they get more from me because they now have their own relationship with God. But I've laid, and I haven't always been perfect. You know, there are times I had to walk down the hall and say, hey, guys, you know what, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't. I shouldn't have even said it like that, you know. And, and they learn from that. You know, my dad never, <laughs> never apologized to me. And I, and I had to learn, you know, yeah, I'd make some mistakes. I had to learn how to apologize. So now my sons, at an early age, they're helping my granddaughter to get it. So that's how it should be, and we should learn to hear. So when the enemy tries to come, make sure you are hearing it with a redeeming answer because everything, even correction, should flow from love. And the new covenant is to add on to the old. So we're going to read the Bible today. The next thing that we're, we're, um, we're getting, and um, we're going to read all the way through uh, these, uh, these passages. And when you get home, I, my, my encouragement is to read it more. We're going to read 1 Samuel chapter 15, and we're going to read 1 Samuel chapter 16 up to, I believe, the 13th verse. We're going to read 1 Samuel chapter 15 and 1 Samuel chapter 16. And remember, the whole series is hearing God's voice. <clears throat> and today's focus is three models. We're going to look at the apostle. We're going to, not apostle. <laughs> we're going to look at King Saul. We're going to look at the prophet Samuel. And we're going to look at David, the king. And so, um, yeah, so let's, let's go. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15. This is the New Living Translation. And um, we started uh, verse 1. One day Samuel said to Saul, It was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his people, Israel. Now listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I've decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek. For opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now go 
and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation. Sorry. Men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. So Saul mobilized his army at Tilaim. There were about, there were 200,000 soldiers from Israel and 10,000 men from Judah. And Saul and his army went to a town of the Amalekites and lay in wait in the valley. Saul sent a warning to the Kenites, move away from where the Amalekites live or you will die with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came from Egypt. So the Kenites packed up and left. Then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites from Hevelah all the way to Shur, east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but com completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's, Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and the goats, the cattle and the fat calves, the lambs and everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my commands. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard that the Lord... That he, uh, that he cried out to the Lord all night. Early next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him, Saul went down to Carmel to set up a monument to himself. Then he went to Gilgal. When Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I have carried out the Lord's command." then what is all this bleeding of sheep and goats and lowing of cattle I hear, Samuel demanded. It's true that the army spared, oh, go back. It's true that the army spared the best of the sheep, the goats and the cattle, Saul admitted. But they're going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We have destroyed everything else. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. What did he tell you, Saul asked. Samuel told him, although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the, sight, in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I bought back the king Agag, but I destroyed everything else. Then my troops bought in the best of the sheep, the goats, the cattle, the plunder, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and your sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? 
listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul admitted to Samuel, yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command. For I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. Everybody say, mm. But now, please forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel replied, I will not go back with you. Since you have rejected the Lord's command, he has rejected you as king of Israel. Verse 27. As Samuel turned to go, Saul tried to hold him back and tore the hem of his robe. Everybody say, bum, bum, bum. Yeah, so this is a movie. That's like a scene. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to someone else, one who is better than you. And he who is the glory of Israel will not lie, nor will he change his mind, for he is not a human that he should change his mind. Then Saul pleaded again, I know I have sinned, but please, at least honor me before the elders of my people, before Israel, coming back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel finally agreed, and he went back with him, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel said, bring King Agag to me. Agag arrived full of hope. For he thought, surely the worst is over, and I have been spared. But Samuel said, as your sword has killed the sons of many mothers, now your mother will be childless. And Samuel cut Agag into pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. And Samuel went home to Ramah, and Saul returned to his house at, oh, at Gibeah of Saul. Samuel never went to meet Saul again, but he mourned constantly for him, and the Lord was sorry he had ever made Saul king of Israel. This is interesting. Look at everybody and say, look at somebody and say, interesting. Mm. And remember, we're talking about learning how to hear the voice of God. And up to this point, you've been hearing wonderful things about hearing it, and everything flows from love. And every do everything does flow from love. If we fast forward to the New Testament, Jesus said in St. John's Gospel, he says, I only say what I hear the Father say. I only do what I see him do, that all may know that I love the Father. He loves me. Everything flows from love. But there is also a level and a lesson of obedience that we look back to see and we learn from the life of Saul. Now, there are some things that got shifted and fixed at the cross. In the Old Testament, you did wrong, you're going to pay for it. Even when Saul said, oh, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. He's like, nope, 
Nope. And a lot of it has to do with the posture of his heart, even when he was repenting. I don't know if you noticed. He said things like, I did this, but it was only because of that. I killed everybody, but I, I spared the king so we could worship God. We could sacrifice him before God. I kept all the good stuff because God deserves the good stuff. So there never was an adjustment from what God said would happen. He says, you're not going to be king. The redeeming answer of the cross says God does forgive. And we saw that when it got to David. Later on, David, David, did a, David was a mess with some things. I mean, he, he conspired, he committed adultery. Yet when David in Psalm 50, 51, and you should read that, Psalm 51, David says, against you and you only have I sinned. He didn't make any excuses. So you're going to stay in that place of hearing God's voice, just come clean. Come clean with him. I don't want to miss the target where we start bringing people before the church up here and having them do these repentance openly. Come on. Come on. It's like a guy and the girl. The girl was caught in the act of adultery, and they bought the guy to kill him. But they never bought, they bought the girl to kill him, but they never bought the guy. Maybe that's what Jesus was writing on the ground, the guy's name. <laughs> I don't know. But, but uh, David said, against you and you only have I sinned. And he bore his heart open. At the end of it, because if you, if you read chapter 16, 17, 18, and all of that, you'll begin to see that the spirit of the Lord left Saul. And so when David sinned, he says, he says, whatever you do, please don't take your presence. Whatever judgment you want to bring, all that, but just don't take your presence from me. What was the, the rap on Saul from God's perspective? I'm sorry I ever made him king. What was the rap on David? He's a man after my own heart. The heart matters to God. It matters. That's why love may be the root, but humility is the soil. It's so important for us to always posture ourselves. It's like, like I said, be quick to repent. Quick, quick. Tenderness. Why? I don't want his presence to go. That was Moses' posture when the children of, of Israel were doing all kinds of crazy things, and God was like, okay, I'm going to take care of that stuff for you. I'm going to send you on your way. Don't worry. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take care. Moses is like, oh, no, 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 no. no. If you don't go with us, I don't want to go. Your presence must go with us. And that has to be our heart posture. It's got to be our posture. And so... The last time I was, I was teaching a couple weeks ago when we were talking about Samuel, um, I showed you Samuel's picture before this. Samuel's picture was a little boy. 
And Eli helped him to hear God's voice. And he said to Samuel, the next time you hear that voice, because Samuel thought Eli was calling him, he says, the next time you hear his voice, say that voice, say, speak, Lord, your servant hears. And so Samuel came up in that and learned to hear God well. But even Samuel had to learn some things. So let's go real quickly to the 15th chapter. I'm sorry, the 16th chapter of 1 Samuel. And this is right after now. It says, now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I've rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. And Samuel asks, how can I do that? <laughs> is, he really is saying, you know Saul. <laughs> he said, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he's going to kill me. You know him. <laughs> you know? So the Lord says, take a heifer with you. The Lord replied and said, um, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling, because Old Testament prophets always had a rough word. That's why it's so hard to hear prophets these days, because we still live in the Old Covenant. It should come with a redeeming word. And it doesn't mean that sometimes God doesn't want to get you straight or God shows you some things that, you know, it's like the woman at the well. Jesus is, Jesus is talking to this woman and he starts telling her stuff. And she's like, oh, you prophet. You know that I've got five husbands and the one that I'm with isn't mine. Whew. But what was the, the redeeming word? See, it's Jesus now. Remember, he says, up until now, you've heard nothing but the prophets, the law and the prophets. But now, from here on, everybody is forcing their way into the kingdom. They're trying to get into the kingdom because God is coming with his message that he loves you. And he wants you to turn, but turn to his love. Samuel showed up as an Old Testament prophet. People are like trembling the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong? They asked. Do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replied. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Right to the sacrifice too. Verse 6, when they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Everybody say that. Surely this is the Lord's anointed. Now, you guys are going to play with family and friends about that later on. You're going to be like, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Check this out. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or his height. For I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
verse 8. Then Jesse told his son, Abinadab, step forward and walk in front of Samuel, prophet. But Samuel said, and this is not, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Verse 9, next Jesse summoned Shimea. But Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. Verse 10, in the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. And Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? You know, as if to say, did I get this right? Am I supposed to be here? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied. But he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark, handsome, with beautiful eyes. Stay with me, ladies. Stay, stay, stay focused. We're in scripture here. Stay with the scripture. Stay with the scripture. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of oil he had bought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And from that day on, from that day on, then Samuel returned to Ramah. We'll stop there. What are the lessons we learned? We got three guys here. One of them, one of them was... Like I heard one, one young guy say, yo, man, that dude shysty. <laughs> that, that was grimy what he did. <laughs> His heart wasn't right. And he tried to replace good things for obedience. And remember, it's not just that God doesn't like, God loves sacrifices. But obedience is better than sacrifice. And he hates rebellion. Rebellion. Not just rebellion in kids. <laughs> he hates rebellion in adults. Sometimes they look at the kids. I remember we went through a whole phase. Pam and I went through a phase when our kids were teenagers. They said, hey, hey, guys. And they weren't quite teenagers. They were, you know, right before, right before teenage years. And we, were, we started stamping out rebellion. We said, yeah, that, every time something comes up and it's not what was supposed to be, we're going to pause right there. We're going to pause right there. We're going to talk about it. And for a few weeks, that's what was happening. I'd be upstairs in the bedroom, you know, watching a game or something, and, and I'm hearing Pam downstairs in the kitchen with the guys. And all of a sudden, she's like, guys, come on. Man, I couldn't run down the steps fast enough. <laughs> I get in the kitchen, guys, and we had to talk about it right there. Remember, it takes 21 days to change the habit, even with kids. You know how it is with us. <laughs> Ask Amy about our healthy temple. <laughs> it, takes, it takes some time. <laughs> Put the fork down. Put the fork down. But God doesn't like it. But then it gets deeper because he said stubbornness. Rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. So he says, now you're bringing in potions. You're making these statements. You're trying to manipulate. It's interesting. 
And, and I don't want to go deep into it, um, but the husband-wife relationship, you got to be careful with that. Even the parent-child relationship. We do things to try and manipulate the other person. We got to watch that witchcraft stuff. We say stuff a certain way, not realizing we're bringing, we're bringing wicked spirit into our house. Don't manipulate your parents. Don't try and manipulate your kids. Don't try and manipulate your husband. Don't try and manipulate your wife. Have a pure heart. Let God do the changing. Let God do the fixing. But when it comes to being obedient before the Lord, God holds that up as priority. And when you do these other things, thinking that you are offering a sacrifice, it's really disobedience. And he says that kind of thing is on par with witchcraft. This goes beyond your gift, your anointing. It goes beyond your ability to make money, how much money you have. It goes beyond your charisma. It goes beyond your beauty. It goes beyond any of those things that people tend to highlight. And may I say that partial obedience is disobedience. And so at the end of the day, Samuel comes and says, you didn't hear and listen to his voice. Yet, when it was time for Samuel to choose which one of those guys should be the next king, he says, surely this is the Lord's anointed. First guy, first guy, this is the one. And God was quick to pause and say, hey, 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 wait, 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 wait. Are you still listening to my voice? This isn't the one. So it's making adjustment. And in humility, humility, Samuel made the adjustment. He said, this isn't the one the Lord has chosen. Why? Man looks at the outer appearance. God looks at the heart. I said that to a beautiful 15-year-old girl about almost 24 hours ago. 15 years old, she's Puerto Rican, and they have what's called a quinceañera, quinceañera, there you go, and there she stood in the sanctuary, dressed up beautifully, video and all of that, so I'm not saying something that's not, you know, out there, and I looked at her and her beauty, I said, wow, and her hair, and her makeup. She's going traditionally from being a child to now a young woman. And all I gave her were scriptures. Love God with all of your heart. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Beauty can be vain. But the woman whose heart fears the Lord, she'll be praised. Decades, decades. See, it's not all the stuff we have. It was so cool for me because as I was saying all of this, this 15-year-old's makeup began to smear. <laughs> and she started crying her eyes out. Because about five years prior, it was the pool right over to the left that I had baptized her. And she made a decision for Jesus. But I will tell you, it's not the adorning. It's not the money. 
It's not the charisma. It's not even the sacrifices and gifts and even giving to help the poor, as it says in 1 Corinthians 13. It is the obedient heart. And so as we 